It is good to, good to see everybody today. Um, man, I'll go ahead and tell you, I am fighting a migraine this morning, so I, I'm not responsible for what may come out of my mouth, uh, but we're going we're gonna to roll with it. So if we edit the podcast, that's fine, but hey, we can't edit what happens live, so you might, you might be in for a treat. Uh, we're uh, still in our Influencer Series this morning. Uh, we've been, man, we've been here for a while, and we've talked about what it looks like for people to influence us positively, what it looks like for us to influence others, how do we approach that, how do we appreciate that. Um, today's kind of one of those weird days, like as a pastor, you think, man, I'm never really going to talk about this on length, maybe on passing, but today, in the words of Dana Carvey, we're talking about Satan. Um, I don't know if you guys even catch that. Yeah, most people are like, I am way too young to know what you're talking about. And so I'm just old. But uh, Saturday Night Live used to be good, believe it or not. And uh, it was really funny. The church lady was hilarious. Um, And so, yeah, we're going to be looking at at that today. And so I think for for a lot of us that grew up uh, in in kind of the BOBC or the big old BOMC or the BOPC, which is like the big old Baptist church, the big old Methodist church, the big old Presbyterian church, or the big old NMNDC, non-denominational church, whatever. Whatever, if we grew up in the church, a lot of us probably we have some, some unspoken kind of baggage. And what that means is like if you grew up in... Um, if you grew up in a setting similar to me, like there were a couple things you didn't talk about in church. Like you didn't talk about the Holy Spirit very much um, because the Holy Spirit was mentioned at baptism, baptized you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. That, you, you didn't talk about that. So you didn't talk about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That, that's a shortcoming majorly because Scripture talks about, you know, God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, co-equal in power, distinctive in authority, that kind of thing. So that's a, that's a short sign. But then we really didn't talk about like what Satan does either. Like when we would go and we'd look at Job, yeah, you might hear about Satan and you might hear about that conversation. You'd be like, man, that kind of wigs me out. It's a little odd, but you never really talked about the fact that, man, Satan's real. Um, He's alive and he's out there seeking to absolutely destroy me and destroy you. For those who are called according to the good purpose, the good will, the good desire of God, like we need to understand and we need to be aware, Satan wants to destroy us. He wants to ruin us. Uh, if we look uh, in First Peter, like just opening up quickly, First uh, Peter chapter five verse eight, it says, "Be sober-minded, or be clear-thinkful, be clear-thinking, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world." So, before we we jump in, like a couple things that we need to acknowledge firsthand and quickly, like Satan wants to eat us alive. And not just us, but all of us. Like, he does not want authority being granted to us on behalf of God. He does not want mission continuing through us on behalf of God. He does not want empowerment to be experienced in us through the Holy Spirit by God. does not want any of those things because that means that his authority, which is temporary, is threatened. So Satan's real. He wants to destroy us. He's not a punchline. He's real. And, and, and in the grand scheme of things, as mind-warping as it is, he does have the, the prince of power of the air kind of authority here now to sift and to do a lot of things. I can't wrap my mind around it. I wouldn't write a paper on it and turn it in. I wouldn't do any of those things, but I know it to be true because Scripture attests to it, and it confuses me, yes, but it's real. It's no less real. It's no less man needs to be affirmed. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at just a, a snapshot we can't do everything. Like, I'm not going to, man, I'm not going to spend a series on Satan. I don't think he deserves that kind of credit. But uh, being, man, sober-minded, being people that want to think clearly, 
we need to understand what he's going to try to do. But most importantly, we need to understand what we need to do in response. Okay? Um, and so we're going to look uh, in Matthew chapter 4. We're going to look at um, when Jesus was led into the wilderness and he was tempted for 40 days. And we're going to ask a couple questions. And then we're going to do our best to answer them. We're going to ask, uh, what did Satan try to do? And what do we need to do in response in light of what Jesus did? And so let me pray. And we're going to jump in. God, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you, uh, God, that you're a God who cares about the well-being of his kids. Um, and you're a good father. God, thank you as a result of that. You sent Jesus. You sent your spirit. You've given us instructions on how then we should live. God, thank you for the authority that has been granted to us on behalf of your son Thank you for the power that has been granted to us on behalf of your spirit, and thank you for the family that has been granted to us on behalf of you being our dad. God, today I pray we look at your word well. I pray you speak. I pray you change our hearts. And God, I pray you make us look more and more like the children of God we need to be. We love you, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, open to Matthew chapter 4. A parallel account can also be found in Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Uh, the Matthew passage will be on the screen behind me. So then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to be loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to him, All these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. Right before this, chronologically, Jesus uh, was baptized by John. Uh, it kind of marks the beginning of his earthly ministry, not the beginning of his earthly dwelling, but the beginning of his earthly ministry. And at that time, it's very important that we note, the Spirit descended on him like a dove, and the voice of God spoke out, and he said, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. I think it's worth noting, before we get into any of this, before we get into the temptations, the miracles, the works of Jesus, before Jesus did any of those things, God made it clear I am pleased with my son. Before a single action, before a single miracle, before water into wine, before withered hands stretched out, before dead raised, before any of that, God looked at his son and said, in him, my kid, my boy, I am pleased. And so right after that, he's led into the wilderness. And I'll be honest, like first sticky, first sticky comment. Do I know why? I don't. I don't. Could I guess? I probably could, but would it be accurate? I don't know, so I'm not going to make guesses. But either way, Scripture says he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, then the tempter, or the devil, he appeared. So 40 days, 40 nights. So like me, like my wife and I, we're trying this intermittent fasting thing right now. Yeah, and so that means, paltry me, from 7 p.m. until 11 a.m. the next day, I don't eat. You know, and, and by 11 a.m., like, I'm, I'm hangry. Like, I'm mad hungry. Like, you know, you don't need to be around me. Don't get between me and a plate because I need to eat, and I need to eat now. Forty days, 40 nights for Jesus. 
being sustained, thinking, praying. I do believe during that time it was a, a 40 days of like preparation for what was about to occur over the next months to years leading to the cross, then ultimately resurrection and ascension. Like I do believe it was like that, like 40 days, 40 nights, fasting for a purpose to be near the Father. And so at the end of that time, it says the tempter appeared or the devil appeared and came and he said to him, here's the first. He says, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, quoting Deuteronomy 8, 3, um, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The first thing that we see Satan use is he uses Jesus's need. He uses Jesus's need. Like he approaches him and tries to meet that need that he feels right now. Jesus was 100% man, 100% God. It made him no less hungry than you or I would have been after 40 days of fasting. Jesus was hungry. And Satan comes, I, I know what you need. Hey, how about you just, those stones right there, just make them bread. If, if you're the son of God, if, just turn those into bread. The very first thing that we see Satan use is he reaches towards Jesus' greatest need and just says, just, just, just do that. What would be so bad about just that rock? You're completely, you know, completely capable. Just, just turn that rock into stone. What would have been the problem there? For us, I think we need to understand, like, uh, this is one of these tactics. Like, Shang Tsu says, know your enemy. Like, I think if we're thinking clearly, we need to. Satan will come after us in a moment of our greatest need. And he will offer us the thing that we want most, or that we think we want most. In this case, for Jesus, it was hunger. For us, it may be many things. Like, I know several people who have longed for relationship, longed for that, that itch to be scratched of, of like partnership for life. And, and maybe Satan will come in that moment and just say, I know what you want the most. Here, here's this. What about this? Maybe it's in times of great financial stress that we think, man, I just need, I need one more dollar, five more dollars, a hundred thousand more dollars. Maybe it's in those moments that Satan comes and says, I have something for you. Just, just this. Satan's not dumb. That's one thing that we need to acknowledge. He's real, he's after us, and he's not stupid. He knows the human condition. As a matter of fact, he authored a lot of the human condition through sin and its entrance into the world. Like, he will come after us and offer us the thing that we feel we need most in the moment that we feel like we need it the most. Sometimes we, that's the time in which we're like completely at our weakest. Like I've shared personally with you guys, like I battle depression from time to time, and, and I know that the moments in which Satan is going to come after me with that, yes, it is a medical deal, but I do believe that Satan can use that for his benefit and the anti-glory of God. Like I know that he's going to come after me when I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I'm weak, I'm run down. Maybe after being on a mountaintop and I come down into the valley, that's when he'll come. I know, because he's not stupid. He knows when best to come after me. He knows to come after us when we want something the most and when we need it the most and when we're at our worst. So that's Satan, but let's look at what Jesus did. Jesus understood that what would have been so bad about that if he would have just stopped for a moment and, yes, converted that rock into bread, which we could have. You know, God creates stuff from nothing, ex nihilo, so he could obviously take something and turn it into something else. That's not a problem for God. And Jesus says, when you've seen the me, you've seen the Father. Jesus was God with skin on. He could have done whatever he wanted to do, but in order to do that, what would it have caused? It would have caused Jesus to trust in somewhere other than he was supposed to. 
Because Jesus' words right here, he says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Referencing back to speaking to the, the Israelites after they had been led out of Egypt and talking about depending on the manna or that stuff that we don't really know what it was, but it was the stuff that they ate. And it was this idea that you should not rely on your own hands, rely on what you can gather, but rely on what God will provide for you, sustain you with, give you in your time of greatest need. Jesus knew that if he took that stone and turned it into bread and he ate of it, that it would have meant he was trusting in something else or someone else than he should have been. Satan knew that too, and that's exactly what Satan wanted. Satan said, look, I'm going to tempt you with the thing you want the most, the thing you think you need the most, just so that you'll place your trust somewhere else. Satan's not stupid. He knows the desires of our heart, and he knows the right carrot to dangle at the right time to get us to pull our trust away from the place that it needs to be. Jesus says the thing that we need to trust in, God and God alone. In this particular passage in Deuteronomy, over and over, and, and this is the place that Jesus is going to reference most often, it starts with this uh, Shema Yisrael, or hear, O Israel, do this, do this, do this, right on the heels of the Ten Commandments. And the first is, have no other God before me, just worship just God. And in this place, man, if we're going to trust in something, trust in God and God alone. And if Jesus had just broken in that moment, it would have meant he was trusting in somewhere else, something else, someone else. And that's one of Satan's ploys. Because he knows that our heart is united to God by grace through faith. Faith is the dependence, the reliance, the trust in God. If he thinks he can just pull that away just for a bit. So Jesus says, no. No, man shall not live by bread alone. Forty days, forty nights. I haven't needed it then. I don't need it now. But this is what I do do need. Every word that comes from the mouth of God. I will trust in that. Jesus says, trust in God. I think that for Jesus, the, the advantage that he, he had, uh, he and the Father are one, obviously, and, and, and they're still one now. They're not separated. They're still one. And so even though Trinitarian, three gods, one God, that kind of idea, again, blow your mind, he knew God perfectly. For us, our goal, your goal, my goal should be to know God well enough to know that his intention is to sustain me. His intention is to provide for me. We're not talking about health, wealth, and prosperity, but talking about life everlasting that begins with covenant relationship now that extends into eternity with heaven. God intends to provide for me, to take care of me, provide for you, take care of you. It may not be in the the system of Americanism and the idea of what prosperity looks like here, but God is working together all things for the good of those who love him and called according to his purpose. He intends that kind of good for us. And we need to know him well enough, trust him enough to believe it. So when Satan does dangle the carrot, whatever it may be, whenever it may be, we say, no, I don't want that, I want God. I don't want that, I want God. But very often for us, maybe we think, well, what what would be the big deal? What would really be the big deal about just taking the carrot? Taking the carrot would say, God, I choose not to trust in you. I'm going to trust in something else just for a little while. We, that's, that's sin. That, that's sin. We talked about idolatry last week. It may come in the form of that. It may come in the form of several different things, but it would just say, God, I, I'll trust in you tomorrow, but today I want to trust in this thing. I want to trust in this one thing, whatever it may be. That was the first temptation to meet Jesus at his biggest need to pull him away from his truly biggest need. 
He continues on, and, and after Jesus quoted Scripture, we'll come back to that. Verse 8, verse 5 says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on, other, on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Psalm 91, 11, and 12. Satan is actually using Scripture in this moment. Satan, the devil, using Scripture. It's pretty crazy. Here's the other thing that we need to learn about this adversary of ours that's not stupid. Just like we saw in the garden, Satan is very adept at taking a bit of the truth, just not all of it, but just a bit of it, to use it to try to pull us away again. To use it just to, just to pull us off course just a little bit, like the path clear towards the cross, towards Jesus, just to move us a degree. Just a degree. And what did he say to Eve? He asked Eve to question what God had said. You know, Eve said, no, we can eat of anything in the garden, but not this tree, not this tree. And Satan's like, but did he really say that? Trying to use truth just to, to pull off course. And again, the benefit that Jesus had in this moment is, is Jesus didn't know God in part, but in whole. And so he knew that Satan was using just a, a bit of the truth, but not the whole context of the truth. Because Jesus knew the source and he knew all of it. Uh, he knew that also in Deuteronomy 6, 16, that God was telling his people, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And that's exactly what Satan was trying to do here. He was like, look, hey, if you are the Son of God, just, just toss yourself off, fall. You're going to be caught. Scripture says so. Scripture says so. Your word, your logos, it says that the angels will catch you. They will not let your foot strike a ground. They will bear you up. Part of the truth, but the whole truth is do not test the Lord your God. In the moment of the time in which we need God, He will provide, He will take care, but it's not our job to say, Hey, God, do it now. Do it now. Prove yourself to me, God. I'm, I'm going I'm to toss myself off. You catch me. Catch me if you can. That was not His job. That was not His role, and that's not our position with God. Our, our job is to follow God, not test God. Jesus knew. And so, Jesus again, Satan came after Him with a half truth. Jesus approached Him with the whole truth. We continue on in verse 7. After Jesus says again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to test. Verse 8. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. In this third instance, Jesus was tempted by Satan, and Satan, interestingly enough, offers him something that's not his to give, but he, he takes him to the mountain, and he says, you see all these things? Hey, I'll give them all to you, which sounds good. But then he says, if you just bow down and, and worship me, if you just bow down and worship me. The first seemed rather innocuous, just the stone into bread. What could be so bad about eating? Eating's good. I'm hungry. Why not? But in this one, the caveat Man, has a very high price. He said, I'll give you all these things, all this that you see. Hey, I will give you, if you just, just bow down, worship me. Deuteronomy 6.13, reaching back, Jesus quoted, and he said, no, no, no. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only, or only shall you serve. And he said, Satan, get out. I think for us, like, I think Satan will start small, 
and he'll progress to a little bigger. But ultimately, what he wants is he wants us to serve him. He wants us to worship him. He wants us to pursue his interests, his glory, his fame. And Jesus so adeptly just redirects. And number one, he says, you need to leave. It's time for you to go. But then he says, and here's the reminder, and this is why, because we shall worship no one other than the one true God. All of Deuteronomy chapter 6 is going to be echoing this idea that Shema Yisrael, or hear, O Israel, you have one God, he is true, you shall worship him and him alone. Again, Satan's not dumb. I think he knows that ultimately we do, in our human condition, we want it all. We want it all, like we, we do, we, we want it all. And at some point, Satan will come and he will dangle not just a carrot, but he'll dangle all the carrots. And he'll say, I will give them all to you, but here's the price. You worship me, you serve me. And we don't talk about that reality at all, because that's just something that we saw in movies, that, that people actually serve and worship Satan. And we think that's an extreme, but man, I think it starts so subtly, so subtly, of just no longer pursuing God, but pursuing something else, in order that we may have it all, in order that we may have it all. Again, Jesus, Jesus, number one, he told Satan to leave, but the second thing he did is he combated it with Scripture. I think the, the similarities that we see between all of these, offering just uh, rock into bread, or offering, hey, uh, just uh, let me see if you're really God, testing him to prove himself, or either, either offering him everything, all of it, if just worships, it starts small. But I think the thing that we need to see is the first way that Jesus combated every one of these temptations is he used Scripture. He used Scripture. Like we talk about God's part of sanctification and our part of sanctification a lot, like God's the author of sanctification and the continuer of sanctification, but we get to play a part. One of those ways is actually we run from sin, run towards Jesus, but the other way is we pursue holiness. The first way that we do that is we actually have to know what that looks like. Now Jesus, again, he had an upper hand here because he knew it all because he was the Word. The Word came through him, to him, all for him, that, but for us, we have to work a little harder. And so if we want to lead or follow by example of Jesus, Man, that means that uh, when Satan comes, we actually have to know what to combat him with, and that's the word. And so that means that we have to know it. Psalms 119.11, which we'll, we'll throw up here, it says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's David speaking out loud. And, and he's just saying, look, I hide your word in my heart so that when partial truths come or so when outright lies come, I can recognize them and I know that they are not what I need to follow. When the carrot is dangled in front of me and it looks good, it looks like what I need, I can discern whether or not that's from God or it's from somewhere else. Jesus knew the way that to combat these half-truths or these outright lies was through the Word. Like for us, we need to know that too, but we need to more than just know that the Word is the way we combat this. We actually have to know the Word. And so that means that it's just one more way, one more thing to drive us actually into studying God's Word, hiding it in my heart, reading it on a regular basis, not just on Sundays, not just the night before community group if you do that, but like on a regular basis. And I'm not throwing rocks at anybody. But I'm just saying, look, it's here and it serves a purpose. It's not just to point us towards God, but it's also to point us away from sin. Hear that. That is so big. It's not just to point us towards God, but it's also to point us away from sin. And David said, look, I hide these things that you have told me in my heart so that when sin presents itself, I know what is truth, what is lie, what to take, what to reject. Man, for us, if we are just 
man, if we're just kind of grazing past this or just kind of entertaining the word when it's spoken to us, I'll be honest, we need to do more. Not so that we can earn salvation, but so that we can know sin when it presents itself. And again, that's if we take sin seriously, which I'll just give the punchline away. We should. We should. God desires us to be holy as He is holy. Holy is not us just sinning whenever we want. Like, we actually need to take it seriously. And the the first step in that is actually knowing God's Word so that it can be in me, so that it can be a part of me, so that when the carrot comes, I can recognize good carrot, bad carrot. Maybe I've taken the carrot metaphor too far, and you guys don't even know what I'm talking about. I watched Bugs Bunny, and man, he would ride a horse and dangle the carrot in front of him. The horse would keep walking. Either way, that's the carrot. But still, like so that we can know truth versus lie, real versus fake, authentic versus imitation. The second thing was this. The second thing was that Jesus saw a purpose beyond his immediate circumstance. Jesus saw a purpose beyond his immediate circumstance. Jesus remembered that just before these 40 days, he was in a river, and he had been dunked, and when he was pulled up, the Spirit descended on him like a dove, and the voice of God from above, he said, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. His memory was not erased by temptation. For a lot of us, I think in the moment, for a lot of me, like in the moment when something so good is dangled in front of me, I forget that the goodness, the ultimate goodness, preceded that temptation. I forget that God has already called me out of obscurity and out of sin into a kingdom in which I get to pursue Him, I get to live on mission, I get to be equipped by His Spirit, and I get to be propelled for His glory. Like, we forget that. In the moment of our greatest need, when temptation feels so real, we forget that purpose came first, that salvation came first, that calling came first. Jesus remembered that. He understood that. He remembered that just 40 days, 40 nights previous, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. For those of us in the midst of great temptation where we can't discern real from fake, authentic from counterfeit, we need to stop and we need to remember what God has called us out of and into. He's called us out of the world, into the kingdom, and he's placed us on a mission that he created beforehand for his glory. Because in that moment, when the temptation feels so real and so necessary, we need to be able, we need to be willing to make the right choice, the choice to pursue God, pursue his mission, pursue his glory, instead of pursuing my immediate felt need. And man, I'll be honest, that's hard. Because we live, we dwell, we operate in a culture of, hey, if there's something I want, I can have somebody deliver it to my house right now. Like one thing I think for the business world that, that COVID has done is, man, it has killed face-to-face business. Like you drive, by, you drive by Chick-fil-A right now, their indoors are open, and this isn't a statement about Chick-fil-A, although I, I do love Chick-fil-A. But man, people don't even want to go inside. Why? Because it's so much easier just to, to open up your phone and have it delivered to your door or to order it while you're at a stoplight and just drive right by. Somebody brings it out to you. We love instant gratification. We love it. And man, the same way, Satan knows that exactly. Like if he's looking to us, he's like, man, you know what? I guarantee that I can, choo- I can make them choose immediate need over future glory right now. Because they're hungry, they're tired. Man, they have this itch, they want it, I can give it to them. And I can take their eyes off future glory in a moment. For us, the way we combat that, yes, is through Scripture, but we also do that by remembering where God has brought us from and where He's brought us to and why He did it. And He didn't do it for your glory. He didn't do it 
for your name. He didn't do it for your fame. No, he did it for his glory, for his fame, for his purpose, a purpose way bigger than my immediate circumstance. And we need to be able to look backwards in order to move forwards. Here's the third. And by the way, Philippians 1.6, man, if you, if you wanted a passage to go along with that, sorry, I'm, I'm moving. And it says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Like, we also have to understand that, that God started something at salvation for us, and he, continue, he intends to continue to move that forward. But we do get to play a part, not so that we can keep our salvation, not so that we can earn it, but so that we can be more and more like Jesus. And part of that's just resisting Satan and turning away from that. And one way is looking back at what he's called us to the third thing is this, and this one seems just super simple, super simple. But if we look at James 4, 7, it informs us a little bit better. It says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Nothing more. Simple, succinct. He says, submit to God, number one, like, hey, God, your desires, your will, your plan, that's what I want. And when Satan comes, it just says, resist. Like, resist. If we see anything here, we see Jesus. He never gave in a single time. Satan was the one that was persistent, but Jesus was the one that was consistent. Satan continued to try to, to pull Jesus, to push Jesus in a way that he didn't go, but Jesus was the one that said, no, 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 just God, just God's Word. I don't need that, and no, you can't do that, so go away. He was consistent, and all it was was just resistance. Just resistance. And there's a promise attached to this too. If you resist the devil, he will flee. At the end of this, Jesus was like, all right, it's time for you to go. And, G and Satan did. He's not going to beat the dead horse or the horse that won't turn. Resist Satan and he will go. Like for us, here's the decision that we have to make well before the temptation comes. We have to decide, hey, Satan, you know what? I don't care what the carrot is. There's that bad metaphor again. I don't care what it is. I don't want it. I don't want it. No matter how many times you ask, no matter what box you put it in, no matter what the ribbon looks like, no matter how it's, how it's packaged, I don't want it. He may be insistent, but we need to be consistent and just resist, 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 and he will flee. He will go. He will go. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 continues this thought process for us. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. This passage is most often misquoted as God will never give you more than you can handle. That's a lie. Life is more than we can handle. We must lean on Jesus. But truthfully, it says God will never allow you to be tempted beyond what he has equipped you to bear. He's equipped us with the Spirit of God. The reason that Jesus could resist Satan is because he was God himself. When Jesus left, he said, it will be far better for you that I leave because when I leave, the Helper will come and he won't be walking beside you. He won't be going to a mountain to pray. No, he will live in you as a seal, as a promise of your salvation, and also as a guarantor. And he's not going anywhere. God has already equipped us to resist Satan. And he says, look, I will never allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. I've already made it possible that you can resist. So we, we don't have the excuse that the devil made me do it. No, because in us, the Spirit of God that's been granted to us, he's giving us everything that we need to tell Satan, no, go away, leave, to resist, and he will flee. We don't have that excuse anymore. There will be days, absolutely, when there will be things on our plate that's more than we bear, and we can lean into God and say, God, I can't do this by myself. Working together all things for the good of those who call him, call him, love him, called according to his purpose, yes. But then on the same day when we're tempted, man, we have to understand that God's already given us everything that we need to resist so that Satan may flee, so that he'll go. He's real, he's intentional, 
He wants to eat us alive. But God's made a way for us to get out through the Spirit of God, through resisting so Satan can go. I think for us, I think there, there has to be a few choices that we have to make of believers that lean on truth and grace simultaneously. If we're leaning on truth and grace, number one, we have to admit that we do have an adversary. And he wants to destroy us. And we lean on grace by understanding that, that God is so good in his being, in his essence, in his plan, that he's provided us a way to escape the lion who wants to eat us. But we have to do some things as a result. Not so that we can earn salvation, not so that we can walk our way into heaven because that doesn't work. God brings us into heaven by grace through faith, his working, not mine. But, he says, while you're living this life under my grace, I've taken care of you, but you actually need to decide that you're going to live in response to that. It means you resist Satan. That means you get in the word and get to know it. That means you do the things that you need to do so that sin no longer reigns in you, so that sin no longer has control, sway, a bit in your mouth. So we do those things. We know God's word. We remember what he called us into. And then lastly, we, man, lastly, we just need to trust that God's made a way for us to resist this so that Satan will flee. And I think there's one other thing, too, and, it, and it, it's not out of context of Scripture. It's not necessarily within the context of this passage. But for us, I think also we need to understand that, that we have one another, too. And one another may be, like, it may be up there, right, with these, with, like, the, some of the best tools that we have to actually avoid sin, to run from sin, to flee from sin. God never intended for us to be isolated individuals pursuing him by ourselves. He, presented, he intended for it to be a people, a family pursuing him together as a community. And that means when sin tempts me, when Satan tempts me, man, we have brothers, we have sisters, and we say, hey, here's what's going on right now. Here's what's going on right now. Can you stand in, pray for me? Can you, can you just listen for a little while? I had a buddy in Columbia and just uh, loved that guy to death. And, and I remember like our code for when things were tough is we'd be like, your porch or mine. And just, just simple, like sometimes it's just, hey, you know what? Can we, can we just sit down? Can we just talk? Confide in one another. Let one another bear your burdens. It can't be done unless we actually share those burdens too. That's what I got today. I'm going to pray, and then uh, we're going to worship some more. Um, thank you guys for leading while John's out of town. And um, yeah, God, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for uh, calling us into more. God, thank you for the example of Jesus when confronted with the offer of everything. Uh, he chose to bow down and worship to his Father, to willingly submit to Kanuo, to, to loose himself of certain rights of divinity and submit to the will of the Father. God, thank you for his example. God, I thank you that you have equipped us beyond our understanding and our own capabilities to actually resist this, this enemy of ours, this Satan, who wants to destroy us, who wants to pull us away from you. God, I thank you that you've made a way out for us. I thank you that that's through Jesus and Jesus alone. And God, I thank you that your spirit comes to make residence, to make a home, to make a dwelling place in each of us and in all of us who call on you as our Savior. God, today as we are a people that that want to know you, be known by you, and make you known. God, I pray that you would remind us of all that you've done. I pray that you would remind us of all that you intend to do. Um, and God, I pray that you would remind us, God, that, that you are worth pursuing, that you're worth seeking. And as a result of that, uh, sin is worth avoiding. 
and leaving alone, leaving where it belongs in our past, uh, in the grave. God, I thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your word, and it's in his name we pray.